Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a Q&A session today, and so thank you for sending in your questions. I'm going to start with our first one here. Hi, Allison. I have a question. My son says he doesn't like that other people make the rules. When corrected or spoken to about something, he gets angry and will say some nasty things to try and hurt us because he says he feels angry or sad, so he wants us to feel sad too. How can we help him accept that he can't make the rules and also try to curb the retaliation with thanks? All right. Well, what a great expressive um, lad you have there. And let me try to say in psychological terms what he's trying to say in his young words and vocabulary and with his behavior. He's letting you know that um, the way he's experiencing the relationship between parent and child is that he is being made to feel like an underling. And um, that, that speaks to the idea that our history of parenting, I'm not pointing this specifically at you, um, but our history of parenting has been to uh, try to get children to be obedient, to mind our will, and we use control and force in order to do that. And if you are the recipient of somebody trying to make them mind your will or use control and force, you feel very degraded. Uh, we have a long history of this 
in um, uh, differences between the equality that we that has been lacking in in um, coupleships. We see this in our uh, patriarchal society. We see this in stratification of classes of people in different cultures uh, and between races. And this this um, somebody being superior to another person really is terrible if you're the person in the inferior position. And so children feel just the same way that men, you know, we don't want to be mansplained to or any other of these other examples, not having the right to vote, to own land, to be able uh, to live in a culture that has a pipeway from school to prison. There's, I mean, I can give you a million examples of how people experience this, this injustice and this superiority, inferiority. And so, um, you know, we've been fighting towards social equality and democracy in our societies. And I just specialize in democracy in the family uh, with the hopes that if we teach parents and kids grow up in this environment, that when they go on to their classrooms and their workplaces, that this is a way that will reform the world because kids that have been raised as with social equality and democracy uh, come to have that as as being their the expectation for how life should go and they will be more likely to spread those ideas in the workplaces and institutions that they're going to reside uh, as as we kill off the old guard and we move the world forward so it's just it's interesting because so much that happens in parenting, we still feel this justification in the way that we guide the child or discipline children or deal with children um, because we think they don't know better. They're just children. Uh, but in fact, kids learn. They learn from the minute they're born. They're, it's, the brain is exploding with with ways to, to learn. And um, we underestimate what a child can figure out and we underestimate how they can make choices for themselves and learn from their choices the idea here is that we want to run our families democratically. And, and of course, that doesn't mean that you just leave a child of four or five to pick their own bedtime. That would be craziness. Um, but what we do say is that we want to invite our children into the um, conversation and have a, a voice and a say about matters in the family that impact them. And that's very much the same as in our neighborhoods that you might not like the speed limit on your street, but you have a mechanism by which you can have a voice and speak up about that. You can petition, you can take it to, to um, your um, local government. You can vote on who you know is your mayor. And um, we have ways of having input and say. Um, and so we have democracy here. Is it, is, I won't go, I could, talk much longer about how well democracy is working. And I'm very concerned that we're losing it at, at different times. But anyways, we're fighting the good fight for the the ideal of democracy and trying to practice at it best at home. So when we have little kids, we want to have that voice and have that say and increase the amount of times that we use choice. So could it be, and again, I don't know your family, but could it be, for example, um, that you might be uh, having too many rules? too many rules. Uh, we do an exercise in parent education where we, we have parents write down all the rules of the house. Write them down. If your child says you have too many rules, write them all down. How many, and if you've got a page of rules, you probably do have too many rules. And then in the other column, say, who created these rules? And if it turns out that it was just, you know, you and your partner, um, I think the child has a point. 
what that we want to we want to invite our kids into in discussions when what's age appropriate it will really once they start to protest that means that they have something that they want to say about this so if they um doesn't necessarily when you when you're living in a democracy it means you have a say it doesn't always mean you get your way so if they're protesting about bedtime you might say i see that you are really not liking um our arrangements about when people go to bed let's talk about that at our family meeting so we don't have the equivalent of a of a government like a local government but we do have a, a family seat of governance which is a family meeting and we get together and we talk about the business of the family things that um, are problems that need better solutions and ways that we can work together. So rather than using uh, force and control, we want to win a child's cooperation and a child is more likely to go along with agreements that they've had a say and a voice in creating. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fully get their way. But if we're going to talk about bedtimes, for example, we might say, well, you know, um, we need to get enough sleep so that our bodies grow and heal. And let's look to the expert who knows how much sleep that is. And then we can look it up on the internet and it says, oh, it says right here, um, at WebMD or whatever, that um, a four-year-old should get this many hours of sleep. So if we have to get up for school at 7 a.m., what time do we need to go to bed to get the number of hours sleep that we need? And so we are um, inviting them into getting educated and seeing that it isn't that you just go to bed because I say so. That happens in a lot of households where sometimes it's eight o'clock, sometimes it's seven o'clock, sometimes it's 10 o'clock. And basically it's the parents not setting a very good boundary. They basically say, go to bed when I'm sick of you. So it's much better to have a, to have an agreement that says, you know, our bedtime is eight o'clock and we stick to it every night. And that's because that's how much sleep our body needs. Not because I'm the king sayer, no higher. And I tell you what to do when I want you to do it. And, you know, um, like I'm making you jump through hoops. So it's not about that status and control and, and, um, having more power over children it's it's reasonable and when it's reasonable and you bring it with education and kids have had an opportunity to ask questions about it um, and have a bit of a say then then that's great and you might find that a child might say well how about 805 and you know what that five minutes is not gonna be enough for the to, to make it worth the the idea that you know thank you you know what i think we could i think we could organize 805 if that would feel better to you so that they do feel like they get some bit of a say and the more they get that say the more they get a voice the more that you involve them in things anything anything in the family you know how should we organize the 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 all the belongings that come in the front hall this this winter you know there's going to be boots and mitts and coats how should we keep that all organized what do you think would be a good idea child is like oh my goodness they're asking for my opinion they're asking me to you wait i've got brilliant ideas that i could i think we should get a basket mittens should go in a basket and the next thing you do, that's a great idea maybe when you could come with me and we could go to the dollar store and pick a a mitten basket for this year let's give that a go that's a great suggestion let's try that thanks for helping us out and that kid's gonna love that mitten basket because it was his idea. So, you know, when, instead, if you come and say, okay, it's winter, mittens are gonna go in this basket. When you come in the door, the first thing you do, you take off your mittens, that is gonna feel like they've been being told what to do and kids don't respond as easily to that. So um, we wanna get them having a voice, having a say, having a feeling of participating in the family governance and, and coming up with the ways that we all work together. And then just lots of choice, 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 choice and consequences. And when I say consequences, they don't always have to be negative consequences. I just basically mean the, the more times that you can say, 
um, here are your choices. You decide for you. Only you know that. And then let the chips fall where they may. That's what I mean about consequences. You know, you could say uh, something like, you know, I'm not going to force you to eat dinner. A lot of parents will say like, no, you have to have a, a bite of this and a bite of that. And you got to finish your plate. I'm not going to force my child. However, I'm going to let them be free to say, here's dinner. Um, here's your plate of food. And this is all there's going to be until breakfast tomorrow. So, you know, you decide, you decide how much you want to get in your tummy. I just need you to know that this is the last meal of the day. So it's got to be enough to tide you over till the morning. So, but you know, your tummy, you decide for you. But it also means then that if they come back and they're hungry later, you have to be willing to say, oh, I'm so sorry that you're unhappy with your choice of not getting enough in your belly at dinner. You're, you're still figuring out how much you need to tide you over. You'll figure it out. But, so the consequence is you feel a little tummy grumble. And yeah, that's no kid is going to die in one night from not having eaten enough dinner. So rather than forcing them to finish their plate and forcing them to eat and having this conflict and controlling them and having a rule about finishing your plate, let them be free to, to, to decide. Let them experience the consequence of not eating enough. And they will learn. They'll learn. I got to get a little bit more in me. They're smart enough to figure that out. You know, where the, the mornings are getting colder. And so same thing, you might, instead of fighting with your kid about their coat, you can say something like, you know, coats need to go to school. You can carry it or you can put it in your knapsack, but it needs to go with you. But I'm not going to make you wear it. So there's a choice. Carry it, carry it or put it in your knapsack. Um, but no coats not, no coats is, uh, is not a choice, but you want to generate all the, the others. You might decide that, you know, you carry the coat for them because unless you're getting in a heated car, by the time they get to the mailbox, they're going to want to put their coat on. Not because you force them, but because they experience the consequence of walking with no coat and it actually got chilly. And you know what? It feels more comfortable wearing a coat. And you don't have to go into the big, I told you so. They're putting cause and effect together. You know, I get to decide how I dress my body for winter temperatures and I'm figuring that out. And we have to stop thinking that only parents know best about how many layers and how warm a kid should be. They can figure it out when you, you buy the clothes, <laughs> you, um, they'll make some mistakes, let them learn. And when they do, you just, you know, great, thanks. You know how to, look at you, you know how to dress yourself. That's fantastic. You're figuring it out. Um, so I think all of those things will end up making him feel more empowered, more like you're in a, a democracy at home, more social equality in the family. And when all those things happen, he is going to not need to feel so retaliatory because he's not going to feel like he is having to um, make you pay the wrath. You know, you you might make me take a bath, but I can make you miserable by being upset about it or kicking you in the shins. So I think one when you get this other part going, you're not going to get the fallout um, from it. If you have a situation while you're working this through that where he is still um, seeking revenge, the goal of revenge, I would um, just acknowledge that. I would acknowledge it looks like you're really mad at me about our rule about taking a bath or wearing a coat or whatever it is he's complaining about. And say, so it sounds like you're really angry with me about that. You really want to hurt me like you feel I've hurt you. Um, you know, I'm so sorry. Let's work this through. And again, I would just put it on the list for the uh, for the family meeting. 
Um, but also keep yourself safe. So be compassionate. Hopefully he's young enough that that will just settle down. Um, but if he's getting, you know, really violent or, or mean towards you, I wouldn't stay and take it. I would say something, you know, don't move him. Don't move him. Again, I don't want to use control and force. Um, but I might just give him a choice and say, you know, I, I won't stand in the face of disrespect. Um, you know, I hope people don't, you don't let people talk to you like that. I don't let people talk to me like that. And so we need to be kind or else I'll need to go and you can remove yourself and the same, I need to feel safe in my house. Um, so can you calm your hands or do I need to go find somewhere else where I feel safe and then just remove yourself from the room. So you're giving a choice, but you're stating clearly what you're willing to do and not do around his dysregulation, but you always have to start with the compassionate um, and empathetic and active listening that he's trying to communicate to you that you've heard him and, and you want to be able to communicate back that you're sorry that he's hurt, that, that he feels that it's this way, that it's not your intention and that we'll work together to do better when people are calm. So that would be an opportunity for me if I had a kid kicking me in the shin about something that just happened. I'd say, you are not happy about this. You, you want to let me know about it. I, I hear you loud and clear. Let's put it on the family um, uh, family meeting agenda. And so for people that haven't been having family meetings, there's a whole chapter in my book, Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. You can Google many formats on the internet. I have a YouTube channel um, and one of the um, uh, subcategories in there are family meetings. And I think I have like six or eight videos of, of my kids when they were little uh, and our family meetings. So you get a sense of how, how they go. Um, so I hope all of that adds up to something that turns out to be a great, um, successful turnaround in your family. Thanks so much for the question. Next one, moving along here. Do you have suggestions for managing the almost ubiquitous opportunity for my children to eat sugary foods? Here's the background. I don't necessarily give my children much sugary food, but I think society does. Halloween, chocolate advent calendars, Easter, birthday parties, loot bags, grandparents, even dinner with friends will often include dessert or a treat. Also, we rake, shovel, and cut our neighbor's lawns because she's elderly and disabled, and she only knows how to pay us with sweets or baked goods. And my kids love baking, but I don't encourage it because of the results. The list goes on and on and on. It just requires effective managing on my part, which I haven't found easy. Last year, my kids were given three chocolate advent calendars from three different people in their life. And in my opinion, it wasn't this challenging for my parents' generation. This is a challenge for me and likely my generation of parents, putting effective boundaries on ubiquitous things like sh sugary foods and screen time and boundaries that aren't exhausting to implement. Any advice is appreciated. Well, I'm going to stick with the topic of the sugary treats. I know at the end you threw in screen time, but that's a whole other animal. Um, so I, I'm not going to to tackle that one at the same time. But let's just talk about um, these these um, the state of the nation, as you put it, what's going on with kids and culture and sweets. And I do agree with you um, that we there has been a very big change in um, the um, diets of children and families, let's, I don't mean to just, you know, it's for everybody. Um, and there's a lot to be said about what's happening with high fructose corn syrup, uh, diabetes, the obesity rates. We are not, we're not eating uh, well. We put sugar in all kinds of things in packaged and processed foods. And as we become busier families, we've made life more convenient. Look at the number of rows and banquets in the frozen food section that are now like complete family meals. 
um, we're really not eating well and sugar, whether it's just, you know, overt like a candy or hidden in things like mayonnaise or salad dressings. Um, it's, it's everywhere and it's a real problem. And I think that you are, um, ahead of the curve in terms of, of, of recognizing that we need to be whistleblowers on society and we, and we need to say enough. We need to say enough. You know, these are our children. This is the next generation. We, we're, we can't be raising kids to be sick. And, uh, and it's happening and it's happening. And, it, and so thank you for, for being the whistleblower. And we need people like you to take a leadership position in saying that um, just because society does something for, as a majority or just because something is common or typical doesn't mean that it's right and healthy and a good decision to make. So we got to try to, you know, link arms together and get some education out there. And um, one of the ways we do that for sure is sort of standing, standing by what we feel is, is right or wrong by our kids. So the way that I did it with, with my children um, around uh, sugar, and um, I'll give another example because we were vegetarians too, and is that the sugar could come into the house because they never wanted to be rude um, to other people, if they, you know, their grandmother would, she was German and the kids got one of those big wonkin chocolate bars um, every time they came to visit. And we would always gratefully say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Halloween, I let my kids go trick or treating. I wanted them to have the fun experience of doing a neighborhood activity. Uh, you know, so we we did all those things. Um, of course, you can hide different things for Easter. <laughs> my dad used to hide uh, loonies. So, um, so you can hide different things for Easter, but the point is loot bags, all these things. Yes, food is going to come in, come in. And so I would say we can polite, politely accept uh, these, these gifts and these treats and celebrate the holiday and collect things up. But then they need to go into the, the sugar bank, the sugar bin, the treat bin, as I called it. And so my kids understood that everything that, that you could accumulate sweets and things but having them was not the same as consuming them. And so they, everything would go into the treat bin. And then we talked about what is a reasonable amount of sugar to have each um, week. And so that became a conversation that, and you can decide yourself what your family comfortability is. And that might be a conversation with the kids or sharing research on what you think. My kids knew that we that when we went grocery shopping, we had to look at the side of the cereal box and look at the grams of sugar. And there was a number of that I wouldn't go beyond that um, if the number for sugar was too high, I was unwilling to buy that that sugar cereal for our family. But I didn't say my kids couldn't have it. I said, if you want that cereal so badly, you'll have to buy it with your own allowance. And uh, I don't think my kids ever wanted to dip into their allowance to pay for sugary cereal, but I basically was letting them know I can only control the things that I can control. And this is my money and I'm not willing to buy it. Um, the same, we were vegetarians. And so I cooked vegetarian food at our homes. But if my kids went off to birthday parties or friends' houses and sleepovers and camps and things like that, they were free to make whatever choices they wanted. That was out of my control. I could only manage what I was willing to cook and what I was willing to grocery shop for. The interesting thing is, is when you don't get into big fights about it and you don't make it the forbidden fruit and you don't get too zealous about it, kids actually really appreciate that you are living by your values and um, that you have considered opinions 
and um, you're modeling and you're educating them and you're hopefully being inspirational. And I think modeling goes a lot farther than parents think. They they don't think it's going to stick or they don't think they're going to impress upon their kids enough. And maybe they don't get it in a week or a day or a month. But if you live your life the way you, you want to live your life, you're constantly eating healthy. The, ha- the house is full of vegetables, uh, you know, uh, veggie sticks are put out after school as opposed to cracker jacks like they they just learn that this is the way life is and they're much more likely when they grow up and go off to college to to assume that that's that's kind of how you eat um i i think this is one of the benefits we see if you travel the world and you realize that that um you know, kids would never think about having cereal in other parts of the world. They're like, cereal? What's cereal? No, you know, that's that we have soup, you know, we, we whatever. <laughs> um, we're very culturally bound. So you're just trying to control the culture of your household and um, and hopefully be inspirational to your children and to your neighbors. So that you, when you have the kid's birthday party and you don't have the birthday cake and you have something else instead that the other parent goes, that was a great idea. Why didn't I do that? Um, and so we're starting to see that that when one person takes a stand and does something, other people are like, I, I didn't want my kid to eat all that candy. I just, I didn't want to be the mom who didn't put, you know, candy in the loot bag. I, I thought, I thought I would be looked down by my, my fellow moms. And the truth is everybody's waiting for somebody else to say something. So go first, you know, be a champion, be a leader. So hopefully that's, that's enough to kind of get you going um, around the sugar and I think that that uh, the attitude and approach that isn't about being controlling and judgmental um, and being reasonable and concerned. It, again, kids don't always love everything right at the get go, but with time and and perspective and constancy, uh, they they usually think that's like a pretty great thing. Uh, and you can poke fun too, you know, uh, like I used to say to my kids, you know, yeah, I know I'm the worry ward or yeah, I'm the bleeding heart. I don't want to eat the animals. Um, you know, you can silly it up a bit. It doesn't always have to be all this serious. You know, if you, if one candy touches your lip, you know, you're going to have, you know, problems tomorrow. Um, so you can make light of it, make light of it and, um, and inspire your kids. So congratulations on, on what you're doing. 
Next question. Hi, Allison. Thanks for doing what you do. I'm writing in hopes that my question will be discussed on your podcast anonymously. And yes, here you are, and you are anonymous, as are all the people that uh, send in questions. I'm a co-parent of two boys, 13 and 10. They have been traveling back and forth between two households for four years now. They still often act out when their dad and I cross paths. Also, some interesting behaviors occur on transition days. Dad does not support the Adlerian method, and in my eyes, he enforces control. I do the best that I can with your tools as my guide. So my question, is it more likely that I'm doing something to create this behavior? She says, cow in a party dress, which is a a term I use in my book, Honey, I Wreck the Kids. Or that it's the actual swing of the pendulum from one house to the next that is still causing issues. And so the idea of the... the, uh, the cow in the party dress is, is this idea of, are you really working with the premise and attitude and tools around democratic principles of being in mutually respectful relationships? Or are you still holding on to your previous attitude that I need to be in control, I need to be superior, kids should mind my will, and we're just sort of like doing it politely by using these like approved tools. So for example, consequences, depending on how you do them, they can either be very mutually respectful, in which case you'll get very small blowback on it or none at all. But if you do something, you say, well, that's just a consequence, but you do it with all kinds of attitude. And I told you and ha ha ha. And look at you. You wish you didn't do that. Now, did you? And I'm the one implementing the consequence because I'm the big man with the pants on. Um, so it's it's in the the attitude and the approach um, that really makes the difference there. So you kind of can't fake I, I you can't kind of fake being somebody who believes in in mutual respect and and somebody who's let go of the need to control other people and understand where our role comes in for deciding for yourself and winning cooperation. And it's just something you have to kind of with more and more listening to these podcasts and reading more and more books that you just get deeper and deeper into your bones that you believe this and it's how you see life. And from that, your behaviors can just naturally flow. It won't be it won't be so arduous. But I get you have to kind of fake it till you make it. I, I appreciate that. So it look, sounds like you're you're listening, you're asking questions, you're using the tools. So I, it sounds like if the kids, you only mentioned the kids acting up at, at transition time. Um, so it's really a matter of how are you finding they behave in your in your home because you're the um, the, the social um, atmosphere of your home is the place that their behavior occurs there. And if they feel that you are being mutually respectful, egalitarian, um, setting good limits and boundaries and enforcing them consistently, allowing them to authenticate, uh, letting them have a voice and say in the family, working cooperatively together, you're going to get good behavior. And uh, so I don't know what happens at dad's house and that's out of our control. And so that's... Um, the the limits of our control are there. Now, this um, situation where you are meeting and there's this crossover time, uh, now the social scene is different. Now it isn't you and two boys. Now it's you, your ex, and two boys. The addition of one extra person, whoever it is, could be grandma, could be a teacher, could, you know, the the nanny, that one extra person changes the whole social dynamic 
in the family. It's a different social construct. It's a different social grouping. So I, I compare it to adding a, um, a dangly bit to a mobile and the whole thing has to like, you know, readjust itself when you add one more um, element to a mobile. So every person that adds is added in makes a difference. So anytime I'm in counseling and someone's telling me a situation where they're sort of saying, oh, my my son had an explosive outburst. And and I say, just tell me what happened. I want to know, like, was was the baby in the high chair watching? Was dad home from work? Was the nanny in the basement doing laundry? Like, I need to know where all the players are. So I know who, who is who is in this scene. And um that gives me extra information. So it's interesting you're saying that the times that they're acting out is that when you two are together and that time could be high stress for them. I, I don't know how uh, conflictual or how much animosity or how much they can pick up about the uncomfortableness or, or the very, the very kind comfortableness. Some people have very amicable divorces, um, but the kids are picking up on that. And, um, and it is not uncommon that um, that kids will feel the most uncomfortable. That could be for a lot of reasons. It could be because they don't want to feel pulled between two parents. It could be because they want to keep you busy with them so that you two don't fight. Um, another goal of, of kerfuffling at that particular time um, could be they want to, sorry if I just said this, keep the attention on themselves so that you guys don't fight. I think I just gave that example. Um, they can sometimes feel polarized that they don't want it to be that you start talking about what we did at dad's house and, and making them the messenger. They could want to reunite you. There's a bunch of different reasons why when you're together, that creates this this moment of, of tension or a different situation that they're trying to address. And in this case, in a mistaken way, most kids, um, regardless of uh, how the divorce and separation has gone, transition days are difficult, even in the best case scenarios, that transition day is hard. And so we um, usually ask parents to do it as infrequently as possible, meaning I find that those schedules that are um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday and alternating weekends where the kids are hopscotching back and forth between different houses every day, that, that's very stressful for everybody involved. It's a lot easier to say one week at one parents, one week at the other parents um, so that you have less transitions if possible. Uh, and the other thing is to pay attention to transition days and know that they're a time where you have to get reconnected, regardless of what the parenting style is in the other house. The parent, the child has to transition back into this environment. And so that's a day of connection. So I would say make it low key, try to um, make it focused on things that you can do as activities together, um, uh, whatever that looks like in your family, slow, non-stressful very human interaction connecting type activities. Um, so I hope that helps. Sounds like you're well on your way and good luck with that. And our last question. Hi, Allison. First of all, thank you for everything you do. Your advice and logical way of looking at life is fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, here's my question. My nine-year-old has been struggling lately with emotional regulation. I can tell it's hard being nine and we talk about it a lot. The thing I'd like to help her with is her anger and how annoyed she gets with her younger sister, age seven. I'm aware that the younger one might be a button pusher at times, but my nine-year-old gets so angry and mad that eventually she's just mean and spiteful. And I see how much distress it causes her. We talk about what she can do, that she can leave, that she can't control other people, but how she reacts to it, etc. 
Um, but would love some other tools for her. Any suggestions? Thanks in advance and happy holidays. Ah, um, gosh, there's just, there's so much when we dig into, into the sibling relationship and so much with emotions, but let me see if I can give you something that you might not have, have already, already thought about anyways. The first thing to know is that, um, when it, when it comes to the sibling piece or, or certainly, you know, we have to remember that all emotions are fuel to help us reach our goals. And anger is known as the fighting emotion. If you'll notice that when you're in a fight, the person who is winning isn't usually very angry. <laughs> it's always the loser who's angry and they're fighting to win. And it's, if, if, if she's in a battle, a conquest over her sister, she's in competition and she wants to win. And it sounds like she often feels like she's losing because she's the one that's getting angry. Um, so why are the siblings in competition with each other? She's she's not going to put down her tool of anger if it means that she thinks she's going to lose a fight and her sister's going to win. So asking a child to emotionally regulate is like asking them to like ad admit defeat and uh, you know lose lose the war. And she's not ready to lose the war with her sister yet. Instead, we want to end the the competition between the two of them so she doesn't see her sister as such a threat. And um, you know, why does she view her as such a threat? Um, what's going on with the sister? I'm not quite sure, but we could talk to her about that, why she finds her sister threatening and, um, um, you know, to know that uh, they're both loved for very different reasons. But I find the big thing, you've probably said that a hundred times, most parents do, but I find the thing that really becomes the, the, the part that parents are kind of doing a bit of the time or some of the time, but not all the time, is this notion of putting them in the same boat. And I think that a lot of times parents confuse that notion because I, I talk about it a lot as in a time of conflict that you put the kids in the same boat, meaning two do the crime, two do the time. Two kids fight over the iPad, they both lose the iPad. Two kids are fighting in the car, you pull the car over, we don't drive until both of them are calm. Whatever it might be, um, you know, if they're, if they're bickering and getting physical, then they both need to go to their rooms to cool off. So those are examples of putting them in the same boat during conflict, but we need to put them in the same boat all the time. And so we live in a very individualistic society and, um, you know, for the, for the, for the good and the bad of that, what I want you to, they are individuals and they're unique and they're different. And we both want them to have their own unique place in the family. They're looking for their own unique place. They're looking to differentiate and find their own perspective, their own vantage point and their own skills and strengths so that they are not like their sister that decreases competition when they can be different. Um, but what I mean by putting them in the same boat all the time is that instead of thinking them as these two individuals that are in a race for the finish line which is sort of how they're seeing life, both of them really, is to, to see them as a team, like the amazing race, maybe watch the amazing race with them. They always have a sibling set on the amazing race that, um, that instead they're a team. And when you're a team, you got to do everything together and you, and you rely on the other person. They're your ally. You couldn't do it without them. And so that's why the, the, the expression put them in the same boat is if you have two kids out in a rowboat you need both kids paddling on opposite sides of the boat to get to shore for lunch right and um and so imagine um anything that a kid might be doing together uh so they need each other in play um you know if you if you don't win your sister over in play then she can just take her marbles and go home right uh, and so that, you know, you can quickly learn tit for tat, which is if I want to play with my sister, I better treat her right. 
And and they'll figure that out if there's no parent around. The kids that all meet at the schoolyard and they make up some game of kick the can or, you know, some other game that they make up arbitrary rules about. If somebody starts to irritate them and, and takes over the game or is a poor sport or whatever, the other kids won't, they won't be invited back. They won't be invited to play. And so, you know, they can try always winning. They can try tit for tat. They can try all these different approaches only to realize that, you know, you can, you can win and be right and be better and be superior, but then you're alone. And so in relationships, we have to work collaboratively. And if kids are left without parents interfering or referees interfering or teachers interfering, they start to figure this out. They run all the, the game theory <laughs> um, approaches and, uh, and they come to realize, well, hold on a second here. I need my sister. If, if both of us are, um, you know, out, out cleaning the car as a chore and one sits down and does nothing and the other one needs, says, I'm going to have to clean this whole car if this person doesn't help me. And they realize, you know, probably she's miffed because you yelled at her in the last fight and you go, oh, I'm not going to get, I'm not very much going to get her help if she's angry with me or she's upset with me or if I am treating her poorly all the time. If I want this person to help me and I don't want to do all this on my own, I, I better, I better treat her well. People that are, that you treat well want to help you out. So the same thing with putting them in the same boat in the morning. If if one kid is dawdling and, and behind and the other one's going to be late for school, don't take the one who's on time. Wait and say, yes, I know your sister is moving very slowly. We really need her help. We really need her to want to help our team get to school on time. I wonder what we can do to make her want to help us out more. So we constantly want to think about them as a team where you care about you, you care about your team member because without them, you can't get the job done. It's like, you know, what, you've got the brand new pair of roller skates and she's got the key. <laughs> Together, you got to work it out. You need one another. So thinking about all those situations where we can have kids need each other. So if they're doing the dishes and one's not helping out, if, if you step in and you say, come on, do your part, or you separate them and you say, you do the dishes on Monday, you do the dishes on Tuesday. No, like I, I want them to do more things together without the parent no, noticing who's going fast notice like I want you to leave them to do this social experiment on their own they know you're watching they know you're observing they know who's being the goody two shoes and who's being the aggressor and let them work their let them work their tools and you can be empathetic after the fact you can say oh, I'm so sorry you're having trouble with your sister but you know what I know you can win her over um, I, I know that you can get her to be a helper. Maybe she feels discouraged and a little bit angry with you right now. I, I wonder how you could, you know, heal the relationship a little bit. I wonder what's uh, gotten under her craw. Um, you know, so we just keep working on mending that relationship between them without us stepping in and us solving it and us getting into what's fair and who did who to what and judging and policing and all that. So step back. You'd be amazed at how when kids go do things on their own, you know, they uh, uh, the first time you go away on a business trip and you leave them home at the house and they have a riot together, um, you know, and you send them off to grandma's house and you're not there. And, and you know, they'll say, oh, my gosh, we had the best time or camp camp when they hear they might be in different cabins, but they seek each other out and they have make these fond memories and. So try to get them doing things together. Send them to the store to pick something up together where they might be nervous about crossing the street or making the exact change and just put them in the same boat. Get them doing things together as much as possible. 
And I think that anger will come down um, when she, they're not using it as a weapon. I don't know if she's using anger for her other friendships, um, but it is it is the fighting emotion. And it can be as she's starting early puberty that we have to start looking at my, what might be some distorted you know, cognitions. It's it's easy for the sensitivity of social rejection where they think nobody likes me or, you know, the teacher singled me out. And it can feel like that. Those emotions can can run really hot. And sometimes we have to help them scale things back and just say like, I wonder if there's a different explanation for what happened there. And maybe offer up that either, you know, maybe those girls were laughing at, um, at a joke and not laughing at you. Or, um, you know, maybe the teacher picked you because you, you know, you were the first, she knew that you could handle the correction or something, help them sort of see an alternate story. And even if they can't help them understand the idea that when we look at how much energy to put into things, we can sort of scale things. Is this a little problem, a medium problem, or a big problem? And, um, see if we can get them to to bring it as not the catastrophic worst thing ever like childhood leukemia maybe it's just like an aggravation maybe it's just a five out of a ten instead of a ten out of a ten um and see if they can learn to modulate down the scale not to not to completely eradicate it but to practice Uh, like i said no person is ever going to use any of their angry tools if they want to fight to win we need to change their goals and change their perceptions so hopefully that's a help for you All righty, until our next Q&A, thanks everybody. Have a great holiday. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.